Hello, this is Merritt Harmon, and you're listening to Is This Really Freedom? A podcast about the balance between civil liberties and national security. Pulling largely from Terrorism and the Constitution by David Cole and James X. Dempsey, this podcast will explain the consensions made to civil liberties after 9-11 in the name of national security. In this episode, we will be discussing detention and interrogation techniques adopted by the United States following 9-11 and discussing how those techniques threaten civil liberties. Following the tragedy on 9-11 came a wave of changes to America's national security. In its war on terror, the Bush administration began to detain suspected terrorists in order to prevent another attack like 9-11. They called this preventative detention, and while it seemed like it could be a good idea, the sweeps for terrorist activity were so broad that, according to Cole and Dempsey, they struggled to distinguish the innocent from the guilty. This new determination to detain suspected terrorists suffered many flaws. The sweeps often detained people who had no connection to terrorism. When they did detain people with ties to terrorism, the administration often moved too quickly in detaining them and grabbed them before they could develop sufficient intelligence. The administration was detaining suspects before law enforcement could gain intelligence through other, more traditional forms of investigation. While it is unclear how many people were preventatively detained, it's estimated that more than 5,000 foreign nationals were detained under preventative detainment within two years of 9-11. Initially held without charges, the detainees were placed under a communication blackout so severe that most of the detainees were unable to get a lawyer, despite the right to a lawyer being protected by the Sixth Amendment. When asked what the people were being detained for, the government often claimed that detainees were charged with immigration violations, even though immigration detentions do not, as Cole and Dempsey explain, justify detention of the individual charged unless the government can show that he poses a danger to the community or a risk of flight. Those who were charged with this violation were tried in closed proceedings without being listed on the public docket. Two district courts and one court of appeal ruled that the secret trials were unconstitutional because they violated the public's First Amendment rights to access of trials and the detainees' rights to fair and open deportation proceedings. Unfortunately, these detainees had it relatively easy compared to those detained abroad by the U.S. for suspected terrorism. According to Cole and Dempsey, the United States is holding several thousand prisoners outside the country. Many of these detainees are held in the infamous Guantanamo Bay military prison. Many of the detainees at Guantanamo were held incommunicado for over two and a half years without charges, trial, or a hearing until the Supreme Court finally ruled against the Bush administration in this. It is unknown how many prisoners are being detained in Guantanamo. Guantanamo is the perfect place for the U.S. to detain prisoners if they are trying to avoid the rule of law. Guantanamo is technically a part of Cuba but has been under U.S. jurisdiction since 1903 under a lease that can only be terminated with U.S. consent. Despite the government's assertion that Guantanamo holds the worst of the worst, a CIA report found that 
the detainees posed little, if any, danger and provided little intelligence. Very early in the War on Terror, it was reported that coercive tactics were being used on detainees in order to obtain information. A paper by Eric A. Posner and Adrian Vermeule defines coercive interrogation as one, involving the application of force, both physical or mental, two, in order to ex extract information, three, necessary to save others. Essentially, coercive interrogation is a nice word for torture. And the administration was not very subversive about its use. That is until April of 2004, when photos of the Abu Ghraib prison were released. The photos depicted explicit images of torture tactics being used on detainees in prison. The images, horrifying and humiliating, were quickly circulated by the press, at which point the Bush administration tried to contain the situation by dubbing the actions depicted in the images as works of rogue agents. In reality, the United States was enacting inhumane and vicious practices on detainees that not only surpassed the legal boundaries of the American justice system, but also sprouted questions of immorality and humanity. Thus far in this episode, we have discussed preventative detention, violations of the First and Sixth Amendments, the legal loophole of Guantanamo Bay, and coercive interrogation techniques enacted on the orders of the Bush administration. All of these are nice subtitles for truly awful acts. Preventative detention describes the essential kidnapping of people without sufficient evidence of any crime. The violation of the First Amendment is the denial of the public's constitutional right to access of trials and the detainee's right to fair and open trial. Guantanamo Bay is a glorified torture chamber. All these things were done in the name of national security, but the question is not whether the measures helped ensure national security, but rather if the price of lost mort morality, decency, liberty, and humanity is worth any level of security that might be achieved in exchange. This is Merritt Harmon, and thank you for listening to episode two of Is This Really Freedom?